I'm just going to read one verse here in this psalm and continue our discussion on the kingdom of God. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. And so what we have here in this psalm, not really expounding it within the context of this chapter, but what we see here is that there is a kingdom that is over all the earth. That kingdom, the kingdom mentioned here in Psalm 103 verse 19, is not the kingdom that Jesus is speaking of when He is speaking of the kingdom of God being on earth. This is God as sovereign over all His creation. And is He still sovereign? He is still sovereign. Is He still governing? He is still governing. And that throne in which He is on has never been abdicated, nor has it been transgressed. He is the one that is the Lord over all. Now this morning we sought to introduce this understanding of the kingdom of God and of heaven. We saw from the book of Matthew that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven can be used interchangeably. If there is a distinction, it is a distinction between the emphasis of the person of the kingdom, that is the kingdom of God, versus the realm of the kingdom, that is the kingdom of heaven. But in any case, as we saw with the rich young ruler, Jesus said how hard it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And then he repeats and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so he uses those terms interchangeably. Of course, Matthew is giving to us the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And being the Son of God, He is the King, the promised King. He is the Savior, He is the Deliverer, and He is God in human flesh that has come in His first incarnation to save a people from their sins. That is what He's doing right now. He is, as is on our bulletin, He is calling a people out for His namesake. In other words, we could say this, He is populating the kingdom. And so He is bringing all things under His authority. If you turn to the book of Ephesians, just turn there very quickly, you'll see these types of terms used without explicitly calling Him King when we see terms like dominion. In Ephesians excuse me, chapter 1, it says <clears throat> concerning God's greatness of His power toward us who believe, it says in Ephesians 1 and verse 20, which He, God the Father, brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and we know that when He did that, He manifested His Son as King, 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's on a what? That's on a throne. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, our present age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, brethren, when you're talking about putting all things in subjection under his feet, you're talking about a ruler. You're talking about a king. You're talking about one who has dominion. And how does the end of Matthew go? All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And of course, this ruler of whom he has put all things in subjection under his feet, he, God the Father, has given Christ as the head over all things to the church. And so here we have our ruler and our king. And it's entirely appropriate for us to speak in those terms. In fact, the apostles actually preached and taught that there is another king. And that king is who? That king is Jesus. And of course, that's what got him in trouble with the authorities. He didn't get in trouble because he was proclaiming that Jesus Christ forgave sin. Does Jesus forgive sin? He does forgive sin. He didn't necessarily get in trouble because he was establishing little assemblies of people who gathered together and worshipped him. But the thing that confronted the nations, as Psalm 2 says, is the fact that the kings of this earth and the rulers of this earth have gathered themselves together against the Lord and against His Christ. God has chosen and set His King upon His holy hill of Zion. And He has declared a decree and He has manifested that King at Jesus' own resurrection given him all authority, and 1 Corinthians 15 says, he must reign until he puts all those dominions under his feet. And we'll take a look at that, Lord willing, here in just a few moments. The church is not the kingdom of God. <clears throat> the, church, the kingdom is still future. So there, is, there is a kingdom in the sense God is king, Sovereign over all, immovable, unshakable. But when God created the heavens and the earth, He created a realm and He made man the king over that creation. So let's take a look at that. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 
God the Father, God is King over all creation. He is sovereign over all of His works. The realm in which He was governing was made in six days. The world and all that is therein. So we can actually say that the King is God in Genesis 1. And that His realm or His kingdom is the earth and its creation. And the king said, it is very good. All that He created. But God intended to create, you could say, an intermediary between Him and His creation. And that intermediary was man. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now note this. Let them what? Rule. Do you see that word? Let them rule. Well, I thought God was the ruler. Is God giving up His rulership? The answer to that is no. But He intended to rule the material creation through man who is created in His own image. Let them rule, verse 26, over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. (coughs) So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that rules on the earth, that moves on the earth. So everybody see that? Here God is the king the realm of this that kingdom, sometimes it's called the universal kingdom, is the material created world. It includes the animals and all that is therein, all the birds of the air, sky, the fish and the sea. And God is still governing and ruling. His throne is still in the heavens. He's still sovereign over all that creation. But God made a man as an intermediary to exercise His rule upon the face of the earth. And He was to subdue it. And of course you know as you read in the book of Genesis, God brought all the animals before Adam and Adam did what? He named them. And when you name something, you're exercising authority. You're exercising rule over something. 
And he was exercising that rule under the rule of God. We could say this, he was ruling in God's stead. So, Garden of Eden was perfect. Man walked with God. That garden was, some have speculated, I think, I think there's validity to this, that the garden was like a temple. Man dwelt in that temple. The voice of God walked with him in the cool of the day. They had conversation. No death. No sorrow. No grief. That's the original creation. But that original dominion given to man by God was forfeited. Man did not exercise his dominion under the authority of God. Man took the dominion to himself. When the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. And they violated the commandment of God. And God said that when they did that, in dying, they would surely what? They would surely die. And through that transgression, death entered into the world. And sin entered into the world. And can we say this? It's never been the same. Sin and death came by man. And of course, we took a look at in Matthew chapter 4, in the temptation, and there is debate about this, but Satan actually, as the prince of the power of the air, he is the prince of this world, he is the ruler of the darkness of this world. Did you hear the word ruler? He told the Son of God that He would give Him all of this dominion as long as Jesus would rule under His Lordship. That He would bow His knee in worship to the serpent. And of course, thanks be to God, He said what? He said absolutely not. And so we have man in his original creation commanded to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, and to rule as God's intermediary on the earth. And the fascinating thing about this, I want you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Psalms, Psalm 110. That Hebrew word in Genesis 1.26 that is translated rule is the same Hebrew word used in Psalm 110. And I'll just read here the first two verses. 
the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, What's the first word? Rule in the midst of your who? Enemies. Everybody see that? And folks, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in our New Testament. It is quoted, portions of this psalm is quoted eight times in our New Testament. And it is alluded to 11 times in our New Testament. So if you take both of those together, close to 20 times this psalm is either quoted or alluded to in our New Testament. It's quoted in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Hebrews, several times in the book of Hebrews. It's alluded to in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Ephesians, Colossians, and Hebrews. What is the command that the Lord gave to David's Lord? Rule. Rule in the midst of your who? Of your enemies. Because God the Father is going to stretch forth His strong scepter from Zion and make Christ's enemies under His feet. So what we know here at this time is, is there a so-called universal kingdom where God is the king and the realm is all creation? The answer to that is yes. But God created an intermediary who was to rule that physical creation and his name was Adam. Adam forfeited that rule when he did not rule under God, but he ruled for himself. He fell. in sin and in transgression. Upon His fall, God promised another seed. It was the seed of a who? Of a woman. That seed, now follow this, was to crush the serpent's head, implying some type of dominion, rule, that this seed would have. And of course, when Eve gave birth, she was very, very hopeful that the child that she gave birth to was that seed. And of course, it was not. And in fact, Cain rose up slew his brother Abel. And so mankind 
has proceeded in its downfall since then. But there was a promise. There was a promise of what we now know as the second Adam. Everybody following me here? And folks, there is... If you, have, if you take any type of rational overview of human history, or if you even open your Bible and you take a look at all the rulers of this world, what you will find and what you will see and what you are seeing today and what you will always see is that any form of human rule will never, ever attain what Adam had. Every human ruler is flawed. Did David have his flaws? Did Solomon have his flaws? I mean, folks, you think about it. Here, here Solomon is born. He's going to show forth the shadow of what, just a shadow of what that millennial kingdom is going to look like. And by the end of his reign and his son taking over that rule, now you have two kingdoms. One of those kingdoms is going to worship a false god, a calf, and the downgrade of everything begins all over again. You have judges. Every man doing what is right in their own what? Just like Adam did in the garden. Just like we do every day of our lives. Why does man keep putting their hope in fallen human governments? It is foolish. And thanks be to God, He knew that. So He promised this seed. A seed of which the serpent would bruise His foot. And He did. But a seed that would crush the serpent's head. And He did do that at Calvary. And the accomplishment of that finished crushing at Calvary will be seen in the future. This will be brought to pass. So what God is intending to do is to give a new Adam, the last Adam, the second Adam. He is intending to give a new heavens and earth that is filled with people who are of the new creation. So do we have a second Adam? Absolutely. We who are in Christ are a new what? We're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things are of, they're of God. Not of human works. And one day there will be a new heavens 
and new earth wherein only dwells righteousness. In other words, I hate to call it a restoration because it is a new creation. The old creation, the creation that we're living on right now, is waxing away. But the king has come. And the king has died for his people. All rule presently is imperfect. Whether you're talking about human government, whether you're talking a husband in a family, whether you are talking about employer employees, whether you are talking about a pastor who is to rule, all rulership is flawed. There is no such thing as perfect rulership until there is a new heaven and a new earth and a new creation and Jesus Christ Himself has subdued all things, including death, under His feet. And folks, that is our blessed hope, isn't it? That's what we groan for. We groan for the redemption of our bodies. We groan to be, like I mentioned earlier, of our sister, who's now in a city, not made with human hands. It's of God. Nothing in the new heavens and new earth will have been touched by sinful human hands. Completely new by the Word of God. Completely new King, Christ. Completely new people. No sinful nature. No nothing. Completely transformed into His image. What a blessed hope. And folks, what that does is it really, it really helps us to loosen our grip. We have to live in this world. We have to be, as it were, Psalm 23. We have to be under the shadow of the valley of death. <clears throat> we have enemies and wolves and all kinds of things that terrify us. But our stability is Christ. God is bringing it to pass just like He said. And folks, this is exactly what the psalmist promised. Turn over to Psalm 8. <coughs> Psalm 8. David is meditating upon man's creation. He's thinking about Genesis 1. And he says in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? <clears throat> Yet you have made him a little lower Septuagint says angels. Here we have in our translation God. 
You crown him with glory and majesty. Verse 6, you make him to what? Rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You can see his meditation there. But folks, there's a problem. All these things aren't under our feet today. If you have a if you have a cat, is a cat an animal? Does your cat obey you? Well, here it says God God's made you the ruler. Just just tell the cat. If you have a dog, do dogs always obey you? Well, have a squirrel show up in the front yard. And more than likely that dog's gone. We used to have a Labrador and they love water. And anytime you <clears throat> we let it out, it would go straight to the most sewage water it could smell and jump in it. You could yell at it, you could say stop, you could say don't do this, you could reason with the dog, nod. And when that dog came back, my children had a project. <laughs> It was to clean up the dog. Folks, all things aren't under our feet. What's the problem? Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Because the writer of this exhortation is actually going to bring up this psalm and he's actually going to bring up this problem. In the garden, all things were under Adam, weren't they? Nothing was in rebellion. Nothing was <laughs> acting, as it were, out of character. But in Hebrews chapter 2, <clears throat> he speaks of God the Son. <clears throat> that God in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. And it is His Son, I'm reading from Hebrews 1 verse 2, whom God has appointed the heir of all things, that's rulership, through whom also He made the world, who is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. He upholds all things by the word of His power, that's authority. He also made purification of sins, and he sat down, implying a throne. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he's above all things, isn't he? And when we get to Hebrews 2, he says, <clears throat> verse 5, For he, that is God, did not subject to angels... The world to what? <coughs> to come. Everybody see that? <clears throat> he did not subject to angels the world to come. There is a world coming. 
concerning which we are speaking. The writer is speaking about the world to come. Verse 6, But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his what? All right. Now in Psalm 8, the one to whom all things have been placed in subjection under their feet is man. What is man that you are mindful of him? Everybody with me? But there is a world to come, (coughs) and that world to come is under the dominion of a man. Who is this man? It is the one in whom in these last days God has spoken through. It is His Son. So He continues, verse six, verse 8, For in subjecting all things to Him, that is in context man, in the context of Hebrews Christ, He left nothing that is not subject to Him. But now... Now, we do not yet see all things subject to Him. All things aren't under man, and definitely all things aren't under Christ. They're all in rebellion, aren't they? That's what Psalm 2 says. Verse 9. Brethren, though we don't see something, we do see something. We do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels. Now he's not talking about the original creation. He's talking about who? Christ. Did Christ leave the throne of exaltation and glory? Did He consent to be born of the seed of a woman, to become a man? And was he born as a man? Did he grow up as a man? Did people see him as a man? Was he subject to light temptations like man is, apart from a sin nature? The answer to that is yes. All right, let's look at that man. We see him who was made a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. Verse 10, because it was fitting for Him. Now that that word Him is referring to God the Father. It was fitting for God for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, for this aim, 
in bringing many sons to what? To glory. This is what he's going to do. To perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one, from which reason he is not ashamed to be called for call them brethren. Everybody see that? So folks, what I'm saying here is this. There is this universal kingdom. God is king, but He exercises His rule through man. And we see that in the original creation. Man forfeited that rule. But God intended, He purposed it, to restore that intermediary rule through a new Adam. Through Christ. The Son of God becomes a man made a little lower than the angels. And to that man who died for his people so that he could call them brethren, to that man would be given how much authority? All authority, all rule, all dominion, forever. There will be no downfall of his kingdom. And folks, when we look at the Son of God, and you read your books of the Gospel, what do you see Jesus Christ doing? He's exercising His rule. Does He cast out devils? Does He calm the sea? Does He provide food? He's exercising His authority. It's not independent authority. It's authority under who? Under God. But He's exercising that authority, and when He exercises that authority, what He is demonstrating is not that He can make food. He's demonstrating that He's the second Adam. That He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and He is the promised Christ that was promised from the downfall of man in that garden. And folks, you just think about it. God has brought to pass exactly what the prophets foretold. Hundreds, thousands of years before the very birth of Christ, in the fullness of time, Christ comes. And He doesn't sin. He doesn't do anything independently. He says, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what my Father says. He is exacting Himself as the perfect man, isn't He? And folks, this is why in Hebrews 2, verse 14, He says, Therefore, since the children... 
That would be the children over whom He would rule. Share in flesh and blood. He Himself likewise also partook of the same. So that through death, He had to die to accomplish this, that through death He might render powerless Him who has the power of death. Folks, who has and who exercises the authority of death in this life? That exercise of death comes through the devil. That's how the devil killed Adam. He caused him to transgress. The wages of sin is death. This is His weapon. And Christ our King took on the power of the devil. He yielded His body to what? To death. And Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, Death, the power of death, the power of the devil could not hold him. And he arose victorious over sin and death. That's our king. And folks, because of that, for those who are believers... Death has no power over us. To be absent from the body is not to be in the presence of death. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of who? The Lord. And folks, even at the end of the day, that body which is returned to dust like a seed in a ground. The trump shall sound. The voice of the King of kings and Lord of lords will call forth those bodies from the grave. No matter how scattered they are, no matter where they are, and we will receive a glorified body. Guaranteed because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's a great hope. Man has been working all of its generations to try to conquer death. And our great King conquered it. Not for Himself. God never dies. There is no shadow of death in Him. He conquered it for who? On our behalf. He became a man so that we might live. So that death would have no power. He rendered powerless. Satan has no power to hold you, your body, your soul, your spirit, period. Powerless. Verse 15 and might free those 
who through fear of death was subject to slavery all their lives. People will do anything not to die. They'll compromise, they'll transgress, they'll pull strings, they'll spend all their money, they'll do anything. Why? They fear what? They fear death. They may have a t-shirt that says fearless. Notice, people on their deathbed in hospital rooms don't wear the t-shirt. 20-year-olds wear the t-shirt. Through fear of death all their lives. And folks, our Lord, who's a great King, the One who has all authority, verse 17, was made like His brethren in all things, so that He is not only our King and our prophet, He is a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He made satisfaction, propitiation for the sins of the people. And He is able, He is able, He is able to come to the aid of us who are now presently under temptation. Everybody see that? This is reality. This is yet to come. We are seated right now in heavenly places in Christ. It is a assured future. We are guaranteed this, but it's not yet being seen on the face of the earth. But folks, it will be seen. It will not linger. It will happen according to the seasons appointed by God. And Ephesians speaks of it this way, then the ages to come, did you hear that phrase? To come. In the ages to come, God is going to shower His mercies and love upon His people through Christ Jesus, through the second Adam. And folks, the second Adam isn't selfish like the first one was. He gives us all things and He will deliver all things to God. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> Again, we're just kind of wetting our taste here trying to get an overview. <clears throat> First Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 20. But now, now, not to come, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep for since by a man came death, we've talked about that, and by a man came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, that's the first Adam, all people what? They die. But also in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ when? 
at His what? At His coming. Verse 24, at His coming, then comes the end. When He hands over the what? The kingdom. To, God, to the God and Father. When is the end and when does He hand over that kingdom? Now folks, I just want to pause here and let you know that this doesn't mean that all this is happening at the same time instantaneously. Just like, are we living in the last days? The last days started with Christ's incarnation. It will continue with the rapture. It will continue with His second coming. It will continue with the millennial reign. Everybody following me? <clears throat> then comes the end. So this is the very end. When He hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when will that be done? When He has abolished all rule, all authority, and power. Everybody see that? So He's reigning. Is He reigning now? He's reigning in a certain sense now. The kingdom's not here on earth yet, but He's reigning in a certain sense now. His aim is for people to be delivered from the reign of death to Him. Or as Colossians says, to be transferred into the kingdom of His dear Son. And He's going to put down all rule. Any rebellion during the tribulation period. Read Revelation. Will there be rebellion in the millennial? The prophet said that if someone won't obey, God, Christ will just withhold rain. That kind of gives man an incentive, doesn't it? You're still going to have to be born from above in the millennium. At the end of the millennium, is there rebellion? Yes. Satan is let loose. So there still is rebellious rule and dominion. And at the end of that time period, Christ puts it all what? <coughs> he puts it all down. And what you end up having is the devil, the false prophet, the antichrist, all thrown into the lake of what? Fire. You have the judgment you have people who will not have Him rule over them thrown into the lake of fire, abandoned from any mercy and any grace forever. And you have a new heaven and a new earth wherein only dwells what? Righteousness. In other words, folks, all rule, all dominion will be done away with. And Christ will take that kingdom, second Adam, second reign, new creation, new heavens and earth, and He will deliver it to God the Father. And God the Father in Christ will be the light of that new creation for how long? <coughs> Forever and ever. This is a glorious narrative. But right now, the world is under the universal 
rule of God. And in that universal rule of God, there is both regenerate and unregenerate people. And you'll recall that in the parables, he talks about a day when the angels will come and they will sift and they will have good wheat and tares. There will be regenerate, unregenerate, and wicked people will depart from His presence. Everybody see that? Right now, they're both in the same present world. But the King of kings and Lord of lords will judge. The righteous, not by their own efforts, but by the grace of Christ and by the work of Christ, will go into life everlasting. The wicked, the unrighteous, and evil will depart into everlasting death. And folks, you think about that. You think about something. You think about this new heaven and new earth and you think about the ages to come in this new heavens and new earth. And you think about the blessedness of it, the happiness of it, the joy of it, the submission of it, the gentleness of it, the lovingness of it. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Well, what's even more hard to imagine is everlasting pain. Forever. And this is why the Bible says, For God so loved the world. Do you hear hear this love? He didn't have to do this. (laughs) Folks, could He have just appointed His Son as King, done away with all the material universe, recreated something new? Could He have done that? Yes. But He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There's only one of them. There's only one of a kind like Him. And He's the only one manifested to be the Son of God raised in power. He suffered not for His own sake. For our sake. He lived under the curse and under the law. He subjected Himself to His own law. And He did it so that the wrath of Almighty God that was due to you and to me could be poured out upon the King of kings and Lord of lords who died as a substitute for all men who would believe in Him. What love is that? And when you think about that kind of love, then you begin to understand what a transgression it is 
It's one thing to transgress against a law. It's another thing to transgress against the one that God the Father loves infinitely with all His being and all His soul. And He gave Himself for people. And people say, No! Surely a person like that deserves the lake of fire. Will you have this man reign over you? And people throughout all the ages have said, yes and amen. David says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's doing it now. He will accomplish it fully in the future. And we will be partakers of that glorious inheritance. Let's pray.